Purple Talk. I'm Richard Cole, host of the what show is this? Amari Purple Talk, the <laughs> show where you get Prince information, Prince-related artists, music, videos, and everything in the purple world of the purple musical singularity. Joining me today is Jason Berenger, host of the Press Rewind Prince Lyric Podcast. Here we are on a Sunday morning. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so this was a long time coming. Um, yeah, I've been so busy um, trying to get episodes and coordinating guests for the show, and sometimes things get a little too busy. So I had this gentleman scheduled about, what, a month, month and a half ago? Yeah. And had, to, yeah, had to reschedule, but now here we are. Finally get to do the episode. In fact, we're keeping the same show notes from a month ago. Of course, we're going to tweak a few things here and there uh, because a lot has changed in the purple musical singularity since the last month or so. Uh, but we're going to dive right in to our first topic. And the first topic is a Paisley Park box set. And can we make that happen? So as we know, you know, the estate in primary wave, they're regular listeners to the show. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. often phone me for advice. <laughs> of course. I, I wish. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I was somewhere online, somebody brought up the idea of a Paisley Park box set, which would center on, you know, acts like The Family, Madhouse, Tony Lamont, Jill Jones, you know, just that era of Paisley Park Records, you know, when it was actually a kind of a vanity label of sorts um, and eventually was going to transition into a full-fledged label. But, um, yeah, they they were starting to do a, you know, a lot of good releases, like I said, good names, The Family, that was a good album. Both Madhouse. Those are favorites of mine. I like, you know, Jill Jones is another favorite. Um, I love the Tony Lamont's album. You know, I've never heard the Good Question album. Richard, there's a there's a quite a few from this Paisley Park era <laughs> that I have not heard, to be quite honest with you. Like, I mean, I I know the the ones that everybody else knows, you know, the Jill Jones, the family. Um you know, anything that Sheila E. did in the 80s, Maserati, Madhouse. But then it starts getting into some of these other artists. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> and I and I don't know. I just don't know. And and the unfortunate thing is so many of these are out of print, you know, and, and aren't available on streaming services and streaming platforms. And that's why, you know, the idea of a, of a re-release or having a box set or something like that of just, you know, cherry picking or just putting the full albums. I don't know which is the right direction, but getting them out there so people can re-experience them yes i could go on ebay and find a copy of some of these like a cd or whatever vinyl but it'd be nice to be able to stream them too and and to do so like outside of the unofficial ways of doing it like on youtube or whatever 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, yeah a lot of YouTube playlists, you know, that I've had to create of sorts like um, like Jill Jones, like kind of making your own almost super deluxe edition. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and the quality, you know, it varies depending on, you know, how somebody uploads it. But, yeah, that's, you know, that's one album I think is loved by many fans. Um, but getting back to, you know, even the lesser known stuff, like I said, I've never heard the Good Question album. Of course, you know, me and Alex B, we always kind of had this jealousy thing of like, that should have been us. That should have been us. <laughs> <laughs> We would have done more with the opportunity. But <laughs> right. Yeah, because I don't know. Like I said, I never heard that one. Um, Three o'clock. I've never heard that album. Um, and you, they've had a career prior to being on Paisley Park. Um, they've had like maybe two or three albums prior. And it was a, you know, like a kind of an homage to the, you know, kind of mid late 60s psychedelic sounds with that but yeah i was always wondering what they sound like being on the paisley park label i know uh prince did one song for them the mr telephone i think or yeah or telephone to get the name of the track the one from um the three o'clock neon right. telephone neon telephone, neon telephone. Yeah. yeah okay Mr. Telephone, Mr. Telephone Man. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Mr. Telephone Man. <laughs> now that's Ray Parker Jr. for that one. <laughs> and which is um, there's a show that Howard Hewitt from Shalimar does where he interviews Ray Parker Jr. and he talks um, talks about how New Edition ended up with Mr. Telephone Man. Oh, I'm sure that's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That that whole episode is interesting, but but that's another topic for another another day. So, what but, are your what are your thoughts on the Paisley Park box? Like, how would you, in your opinion, how would you design it? Would you put full albums in there? Would you try to have it more like cherry picked? Because you know some of these Paisley Park albums had no or very little Prince involvement, maybe a song mm-hmm. or two. I mean, would that be potentially the way to go? Is is just put in songs that Prince had a hand in? creating uh th- yeah there's several ways you could go about it uh i know i've made kind of a few quick notes on what could a paisley park box look like uh the first one would be like a multi-disc box which would highlight every artist so you would get everything uh let's see, i think was it the family i think was the first I mean, if you know, not counting any Prince, Prince albums, stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, around the world today. So, like, you know, starting with the family, uh, then you know, Romance sixteen hundred, and I guess what was the last Paisley Park? Maybe uh, Navis Staples, The Voice, and George Clinton's Hey Man, Smell My Finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, you could just have you know those bookend, you know, every every single artist that was on Paisley Park, and do it that way. Uh, another way would be maybe just a box set of just the classic, you can put that in big quotes, the classic Paisley Park albums. And again, you kind of get into the area of maybe leaving some of those out, unfortunately, you know, leave out a Tony Lamont, even though that, to me that was a good, solid album. Um, leaving out the Three O'Clock, Dale Bazio, 
Taja Seville maybe leaving those out, but then highlighting the family, highlight Madhouse, highlight Jill Jones. Or, I mean, you could just, just do a standalone reissue of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and just instead of calling it the Paisley Park box, maybe call it the Paisley Park series. Yeah. Or, you know, going back to the multi-disc format um have all of those albums and maybe as a bonus disc you know have prince versions of some of those things that he's written for some of the other ones you know yeah kind of like kind of like an originals yeah right mm-hmm. yep you can do your second volume that way or again even if you do the standalone releases have that be a part of that series of standalone releases you know in addition to that you can get a one or two disc prince album of originals yeah this sounds i mean your ideas sound really cool it's something i would love to see i think and and kind of like as i mentioned like them being out of out of print so many of these being out of print and unavailable in streaming platforms anything would be better than nothing right like no matter what (laughs) if this was to become a reality anything would be better than what we have now in terms of you know availability right right so that brings the question so jason you know you're at home the prince estate or primary wave give you a call you know michael howell is on the phone and he says jason um you know we got all these paisley park acts you know we got jill and tony and and the three o'clock and Good question. Um, we want to put those out. You know, we need your advice. How would you, how would you configure releasing these lost items? Well, I would pro- probably tell them there's so much that I think you'd have to do it in volumes. Uh, I don't think you could just do one enormous box. I mean, sure you could, but it might be cost prohibitive for most people if they're going to like if, mm-hmm. if there's a physical version of it available to, for people to buy if it's just to put it all together and get it back out in streaming platforms but i mean the money's going to have to be with the, the physical so they would have to do that i would probably tell them to do or suggest not tell them suggest <laughs> i have, have no i have no pull i would suggest that they do it in volumes like maybe do an 80s and then a 90s since the seems like the the releases were pretty evenly distributed between the two decades you know you've got a, a a good collection of the 80s and you got a good number of releases in the 90s split it up that way um, pretty evenly or i would say like if you're not going to do that if you don't want to do it in volumes to put it out there handpick the ones where prince had the most um the, you know did the most writing did the most recording had the most uh influence so the family, Sheila E., uh, Romance sixteen hundred, that is, the Madhouses, the Jill Jones, and make sure like the full albums of those are available. And then I would suggest maybe picking the songs from the rest of them that maybe Prince wrote for these artists, and have another part of this collection just be like the Prince songs that were, you know, that he wrote, that he had a hand in. And do it that way because I think otherwise it just becomes a lot if you try to do it just in one set to have every single release. Yeah, and let's see. I, 
And that is a lot of albums. I know there are some artists that have had their own, you know, sort of vanity label. And, you know, they may have had like, I don't know, maybe each, you know, maybe two or three, four artists. And maybe each artist had at least two albums, you know, or at the most two albums. And when, you know, they compile those into a box set, yeah, it's no different than having a single artist that would have a, you know, three, four, five, six, seven disc set, you know, and have it be, you know, sort of cost effective, you know, relative to that release. Yeah, Paisley Park box could be a little large unless they do it like as a, and this would upset some fans, but have it as a limited edition set. You know, or do both, you know, have that sort of limited edition set, you know, limited to X thousands of copies. But yet do the standalone and then that way everybody can kind of pick what their favorites are. You know, you Mm -hmm. can just have access to your favorites without having to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars. You know, trying to buy this box in one shot. Yeah, you got to get some different price points out there, just like they do with the the super deluxes that the estate was releasing yep yeah yeah and we'll you know we'll kind of get into what's not going on because it's it's been kind of hard doing episodes when there's nothing happening (laughs) (laughs) yeah true and you know a lot of a lot of stuff going on but like i said we'll get to that in a minute but you know back to the paisley park box um like i said yeah those are some good albums and you know also you know things like the tony lamans there was absolutely no prince input on that one at least that we know of for that Mm. one um i know prince was going to contribute a song to his second album uh but unfortunately uh tony lamans passed away in a motorcycle accident um you know in during preparation for that second for that second album. And another side note, um, Tony Lamonts was in a band with um, Lenny Kravitz at one point. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think it was uh, him. And I think at some point, I think Mickey Free, too, from Shalimar. I think they were, they were going to be kind of the rival band in what ended up being Graffiti Bridge. I think I think there was it was a movie called The Dawn. I think Prince was kind of kicking around for a while. And uh, there's some tracks on the Sign of the Time Super Deluxe um, that were, I guess, originally intended for that project. But, you know, as time kind of went on, you know, Lenny Kravitz, I think, you know, ended up dropping his solo album. You know, Mickey Free kind of hung in there with Shalimar for a few more years. And then, of course, Tony ended up being signed, actually, to Paisley Park. Yep. <clears throat> One album. That's all they got. All we got from from that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I lost my CD to that. Um, yeah, I don't think it survived the move somehow. <laughs> that and, uh, oh, Ingrid Chavez, too. That That's another one on Paisley Park. Too, but Prince had some input with a few songs on that one. 
but yeah, there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different acts um, where Prince had no input on the album. They were just on Paisley Park, and uh, you know, eventually was supposed to transition into a full-fledged label. Um, but you know, there's lots of interviews with uh, Alan Leeds that talks about, you know, where some things Warner Brothers wasn't going to support, and the things that you know Prince wasn't willing to do from his end. And it just kind of fell apart from there. And then any final thoughts on the Paisley Park box? Well, I think just I would like to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, I I love the Jill Jones album and the family album. Those are like two of my and actually, you know, Romance 1600 is great, too. Yeah, but yeah. But some of them that are just simply not available for streaming, it really gets frustrating because I would li- I know I would listen to them more often if it was easier for me to to be able to stream them because I don't like with YouTube. It's great. You know, I could do that if I'm just sitting still. But if I'm out and about, you know, I'm like walking the dog or I'm exercising or something. You got to you got unless you paid for like the premium version of YouTube, you got to leave the YouTube app open. You got to leave your screen open. Yeah. or else it stops playing so it's it's fine but i would like i would like you know jill to to get more streams i would like her mm-hmm. legacy to be more um prevalent and more people raise awareness for her music in the family as well so i would just like to see these put on some sort of streaming platform i mean yeah i have copies of all of these i can listen to them anytime i want but the streaming piece is just really key for convenience and with it's with it lacking you know officially available you know availability officially lacking for these releases it really does uh, it's it's a glaring omission in my opinion so i would love to see something like this yeah yeah and you know and expose it to you know a new generation um not only just you know just prince fans but music in general because a lot of you know, I would say maybe even the more non-print stuff that was contributed, say like a Madhouse, even though that's something, you know, a lot of people could get into. Uh, that's one of my favorite projects. Um, but the stuff where, you know, he allowed a, a Dale Bazio or Tony Lamonts or Three O'Clock to just do their own thing. You know, Taja Seville. I think there was only one Prince song on that one, too. And a lot of those sounds you know, could sound just as fresh today. I mean, some of them could potentially still sound like they belong in the 80s still, but but like I said, you know, it's there for somebody to get into, whether they're just a a listener of music or, you know, inspire a whole new generation of musicians also. But what's most important is what do you guys think about that? Uh, Leave me a comment. Let me know your thoughts. Is the Paisley Park box a good idea? Um, You want just standalone releases of just your favorites or have the option to just purchase your favorites in addition to a a huge box set? Leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on that. And we're going to move on to topic number two, which is Prince is still not in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Now, what kind of what kind of haters do we have in the Songwriters Hall of Fame 
to in 2022, almost into 2023, not allowing Prince into the Hall of Fame. You know, there's been songwriters that have had lesser careers that have been recently inducted. But no Prince, you know, we got we got Jam and Lewis. Of course, they deserve to be in there. We got. Um, oh, yeah, there's so many. I think now Rogers is in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. That's well deserved. You know, but Prince, you know, the legend, the songwriting legend deserves to be in the Songwriters <coughs> Hall of Fame. I don't know, Jason. What 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 happened? What's going on? Who who do we need to talk to about? <laughs> it it makes absolutely no sense, Richard. It makes no sense at all. Um, you know, I mean, yes, Jam and Lewis deserve to be in there. Clearly, their yeah. influence is is you know un, un unmatched when it comes to like their style of music. You know, the Minneapolis sound. Prince started the Minneapolis sound. Jam and Lewis carried the torch well into the '90s as well. It's, you know, the music that they they wrote for Janet Jackson, uh, Human League, um, George Michael. I mean, it's just you can't deny it. But but how do you <laughs> I mean, there's just something that doesn't make sense here. There's something not connecting. Like, how do you put people like Jam and Lewis, who deserve to be in Michael Jackson, who deserves to be in? I'm not, you know, slighting anybody with mm-hmm. with some of these. Mariah Carey deserves to be in. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm just looking at some of these other like contemporaries of princes, people who you know kind of blew up in the late 70s or 80s. A Hollow Notes, um, Cindy Lauper, John Mellencamp, Bob Seger. They're all in there. The Eurythmics. We were just talking a little bit about them before we started recording. They're in there. So wh- where's the where's the disconnect? Like all these artists are in there, but where's the disconnect for this man yeah. who? Even if he had not written songs for anybody else but himself, deserves to be exactly. in. But then, but then you have his albums and the songs he wrote for himself, and how influential his style of writing was. And then all the stuff he did for other people. And yeah, not everything was a hit that he wrote for other people, but there's enough of them. I feel for you was an enormous hit for Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, the Sheila E songs from Glamorous Life. Were big, uh, it's Romance 1600, um, Love Bazaar was huge, Manic Monday, huge, yeah. Nothing Compares to You for Sinead O'Connor, huge. There's just enough of these huge and um, like towering songs from you know the 80s and 90s that he wrote for other people as well that you just can't, I just don't get it, you know, I just don't get it at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, just ni- going... 1984, 1984 by itself should have put him in the Songwriters the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. But... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm going down the list of names. And it's a it's a it's a diverse list of. Of names and a lot of, yeah, all. Well, deserved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm certainly not suggesting like the Neptunes don't belong in there. I'm just looking at the 2022 inductees as well. The Neptunes. I'm not saying they don't belong. The Isley Brothers, not saying they don't belong. Um, you know, a guy who wrote songs for Stevie Nicks and Belinda Carlisle, uh, Rick Knowles. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. those are two big artists that had big hits. <laughs> Where the hell is Prince? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, and as, you know, listeners of Amari Purple Talk know, you know, I've been on a campaign, 
of sorts with the show to have the time in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, you know, it's just knee deep in controversy. You know, um, you know, the sort of elitism that goes on um, with the, uh, what do you call it? Not necessarily the judges, but the sort of the chairpersons mm-hmm. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, the deciders. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what constitutes rock and roll and, you know, while good it's you know it's diverse but you know you have where you have certain artists like well why are they in the rock wait that's not quite rock and roll or you know there are bona fide rock and roll artists that to this day are not inducted but to me the songwriters hall of fame never had that type of controversy i've never heard controversy uh surrounding it um let's see it's trying to well i mean i guess what 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 do we even theorize is the reason for him not being in i couldn't come up with anything uh, i mean i have a hard time citing racism because there are so many influential black uh, songwriters that are in is it because that prince's music was i don't know like the later half of his career wasn't as popular so he's so he kind of fell out of favor with some people in terms of his in, you know his influence and and where he belongs I, i'm not sure i'm not sure what the, the justifications are i don't know uh i mean, I mean even I, rolling stone even rolling stone magazine uh, had prince as the number 18 best songwriter of all time like they did their own list of mm-hmm. best songwriters of all time and he came in at number 18 of all time and i'm like so clearly there's there's just something missing and we're just not seeing it i don't know you know i kind of and kind of liken it to you know maybe it's like sports you know with uh with an nfl or baseball or nba hall of fame you know you have those great great players that to this day you know haven't been inducted and it's like well wait a minute that person had you know two or three championship rings or you know they set all these records and they're still not (laughs) in the hall of fame i guess maybe it's maybe it's that or maybe it's some kind of politics could be could be and also if there was just something some residual um uh animosity based off of his 90s anti-record label although again i don't think this hall of fame is tied to any sort of uh, recording industry uh record labels uh, fat cats or anything like that i don't think like they're influenced or they have any kind of say in this um that that would explain it if it was like if this was sponsored by you know columbia records or <laughs> warner brothers records or something you could maybe cite prince's battle with the the recording industry and record labels as a whole to um be why maybe he's being blackballed so to speak but i don't know if it's not maybe it's not that deep maybe it's just people are just 
forgetting about him or just don't remember like all the stuff that he did and all the people that he wrote for. Yeah, I, I let's see. Yeah, I know it's hard to, to to pick out a reason why. And I'm gonna throw out a a really weird theory. Is it because remember at one point didn't he withdraw his membership from like whatever performing rights agency he's with? I don't know if it was BMI or ASCAP. And there was a point you know shortly before his passing where he was trying to do it all himself you know sort of be his own performing rights agency i don't know if if, uh you know if ascap or bmi if they're the ones over that that would be the i guess to your to your point would be the one thing i could see preventing that Hmm. because i see you know because with the record labels you know um from musicology on you know, he was able to kind of, you know, um, sort of mend the, you know, mend the bridges a little bit with it. You know, doing a deal with Sony here or Universal for this particular album or going back to Warner Brothers. So I don't see it as a thing of the labels conspiring, but I could see where maybe the performing rights agencies, you know, if they're still being... Which is which again is still ridiculous if you know they're playing some political game to keep him out of it. Yeah, no, I mean that's you gotta you gotta let bygones be bygones if that's the case and just let his legacy shine where it belongs and that's in basically any kind of music hall of fame that you can think of. <laughs> if there's a music hall of fame, Prince the you know belongs in it. If it's a guitar hall of fame, keyboard you know piano keyboardist hall of fame, songwriter hall of fame, vocalist hall of fame, he he belongs. Period. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So again, you know, who do we talk to? Do I need to? You need to contact. <laughs> you need to contact Willie Bobo and Fruity and get them in on the. <laughs> We'll just strengthen numbers, Richard. We'll we'll recruit a whole bunch of people and just bombard them with a, you know, do one of those uh, Kickstarter or not Kickstarter, but like, um, you know, MoveOn.org type uh, movements oh, yeah. where we get a bunch of people to sign. Uh, yep, sign something to get him in. And if do you believe Prince belongs in the Songwriters Hall of Fame? If you do, click this yes button. <laughs> See how many. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See how many people we can get. We need, you know, how many 10,000 yeses or something? To... Yeah, make it easy for people. So it's yeah. just like a simple <laughs> yes or no. Yeah, but definitely, if, you know, if any more Purple Talk listeners have some pull with the Songwriters Hall of Fame, by all means, make that happen. And of course, more Purple Talk listeners, send your cards and letters to the Songwriters Hall of Fame, dot, 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 you know, P.O. Box. <laughs> And do that, but you know, what do you guys think? You think it's a well-deserved honor for Prince? Is it, you know, is it definitely time? Should it be sooner? Should it be later? Like some kind of coinciding with some, you know, maybe 50th anniversary of Purple Rain? Of course, that's a little too long to wait, but you know, 2024, 40th anniversary. You know, be good, good publicity for both sides. The estate. If they do a 40th anniversary of Purple Rain and 
Songwriters Hall of Fame that'll call more attention to it if you do it in that year. But what do you guys think? Leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts. All right, and now we're going to move on to kind of our purple pieces. We haven't done that in a long time, and that's just little tidbits of things that have been happening. But like we said, there's been absolutely nothing happening. <laughs> there's been no announcements of a box set, no announcements of a standalone release, um, not since the Purple Rain, or excuse me, Prince and the Revolution Live release. And I think that was released what right before the official transition from Comerica Bank to the actual Prince Estate and Primary Wave. Um, but, you know, there's been no rumblings of a plan or anything whatsoever. Now, you know, I also kind of pay attention to the world of comic book movies and things like that. And, you know, and I see a person like a Kevin Feige at Marvel and how they'll lay out a plan and say, well, OK, you know, for the next few years, we're going to do this and we're going to develop that. This is in development. This is going to be released next year. This is coming in two years. This is phase five, six, whatever. Uh, just recently, um, James Gunn and David Safran have been named um, heads of the brand new DC studios. And, you know, just within what, a little over a week of them announced being in that position, you know, they're talking about, okay, this, we're coming up with a plan and we're presenting it to Warner Brothers and it's gonna lay out 10 years of DC movies. Um, you know, um, just recently, the announcement that there's not going to be a Wonder Woman 3, you know, that type of thing. Um, you hear all of this, and it's like, this is stuff that's in development, but there's a plan. And they let the fans know that there's a plan, or there's official word, even if nothing's being released right away, or no one has a definite, you know, release planned right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Jason, you know, you hear this or you don't hear anything from the estate. Um, you kind of hear these sort of cryptic things from Sharon Nelson, but you don't hear like, OK, well, yeah, we know we're kind of, you know, we're still sorting things out. You know, we're going to roll out a plan or we're presenting a plan to whoever or somebody. We have to appoint somebody like a, you know, a I guess is Michael Howe still in charge of the vault now or planning releases? Yeah, I, I don't know. know. I don't know either. I try. I mean, I'll be also very honest with you, Richard. I tried. I don't do a very good job of keeping up with like who's in charge and who the players are. It's just too much for me. Like, I just, <laughs> I just can't. Um, like, just give me the stuff. I don't care who is delivering it to me. I just want the releases. Um, I know I pay attention to as much as I need to pay attention, but ultimately it's so out of my hands. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't have any influence to get anything released. Um, and I do follow 
you know the folks from the estate that are in charge now and and you know silence um is very disappointing i think everybody kind of wanted a, at least an announcement uh it's the holiday season we want gifts yeah. right <laughs> as a <laughs> as a community we want presents and gifts and and one thing that would be great would be an announcement even if it doesn't come out this year something to look forward to but with um there really being nothing since the prince and the revolution uh purple rain box set last uh, may or june or whenever that was it's just kind of dead silence like radio silence and and without something to look forward to it just it brings kind of the the attitude down a little bit in terms of like what's the future hold the, the we're supposed to be patient you know they, they just took over patience is something that we're not real good at in our community i don't think because we know what exists and we know what's out there and we just i think we feel i don't want to say entitled but we feel like there's ways to get the stuff out uh, we can think of logical ways and, f- and financially viable ways to get stuff out to us doesn't all have to be in these these beautifully ornate and elaborate box sets it can be something very simple like releasing something to streaming releasing some live concerts to youtube uh, that have never been unearthed or, or aired but something right something and it's just when we hear nothing it does bring it does bring the um you know the collective attitude down a little bit in terms of what are we what are we waiting for like what's the wait right and you know it's you know what i've been noticing this past couple of weeks you know there's been merchandise that's been announced you know that's available for purchase you know, which isn't bad. You, 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 like you said, it's the holiday season. And, you know, those are good stocking stuffers and gifts. And I'm sure that, that there is a segment of the Purple Musical Singularity that, you know, wouldn't mind a, a scarf or a T-shirt or, you know, whatever they're, you know, offering, you know, for the holiday season. Again, they're good stocking stuffers, but, you know, the real bread and butter is the the music you know that's the center stone you know that's the cornerstone of every single estate and i know you and i have been talking prior to the show about how you know there are other artists that have had similar hiccups you know whether it was one family member suing another family member or a family member or the family suing the record company or you know, something that would have prevented releases from happening for a few years. You know, probably the longest would be the Hendrix, Hendrix estate with that. Um, everything was left to Jimi Hendrix's father, and he was swindled out of the rights in the early 70s. And it took nearly, you know, 20 years of lawsuits for him to get those rights back. You know, so mm, I could, yeah. you know. I hope that's not going to be the case here. (laughs) No, this is different. This is, you know, this is a legitimate and legal sort of, you know, given the circumstances that there was no will. This was a logical transfer. It's just that, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, we don't know if there's, you know, you dealing with family members that have sold their shares to a 
you know, to a major company or corporation, you know, I'm sure they have to get on the same page as the actual family members that still own all of their shares. And, you know, decide what's best. You know, we keep hearing about, oh, they just want to bring everything back to Paisley Park and, you know, trying to build a, a vault, you know, that could safely hold all of that material. Um, but like I said, there's no announcement of not even just a standalone. I think, you know, forget about a super deluxe for a minute, uh, just a standalone record. You know, maybe not another purple or excuse me, Prince and the Revolution live thing, unless it's, you know, parade era or something like that, you know, or maybe, a, you know, First Avenue show or something like that as a standalone release or a birthday show. But, you know, just something, another, you know, Originals 2 or, or something, or heck, even, you know, I'd settle for, like we were talking about earlier, just a standalone release of the family. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Maybe take the focus off of Prince for a quick minute while they figure out what to do. You know, just release that family album. And, you know, release that Jill Jones album. We would be happy with that for a while. And then fans of later eras, you know, release that... Um, Judith Hill record or Andy Allo record, release that. Or maybe like put Crystal Ball on vinyl or something, you know, something that's not really available. Well, Get yeah, some, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to, yeah, like any of those, because for a while there we were getting announcements for re releases of, you know, we had the Musicology in 3121 and uh, some of those um, later albums released on vinyl for the first time or what have you and that kind of stopped and now we haven't had anything in a bit in terms of like just re-releasing music on you know vinyl or getting things i mean yeah cds we've gotten cds now of certain albums that were out of print mm -hmm. but not but not for not vinyl like i already have come on cd i don't need a i don't need it again personally and I know, i'm glad that it's available for people but these albums weren't exactly like really that hard to find if you really wanted a album a copy of come on cd you could easily find one discogs or ebay or something and they wouldn't break the bank right uh, having it re-released is cool but if there's nothing extra to go along with it or releasing it in a format that it wasn't available on prior like vinyl for example then it's just it doesn't doesn't excite me personally maybe it does others and and you know it's not all about me <laughs> of course and then what i want but uh, I just would like to see some of these other albums from the 90s and the 2000s get some vinyl uh, releases attached to them. Yeah, exactly. And um, as you were talking, I was thinking about, like you said, when Sony kind of had that sort of trio of releases every, what, quarter, <laughs> just about. I think we were getting mm -hmm. like two or three times a year a set of three releases of stuff that had been out of print, you know, from the, you know, 90s and the 2000s. And it did kind of cut off right when I was expecting, like you said, the uh, Crystal Ball compilation, uh, the Chocolate Invasion, Slaughterhouse. Yeah, I was anxious to, you know, have those, mm -hmm. uh, especially Chocolate Invasion, Slaughterhouse on, you know, an actual CD, you know, because those were only download releases. Um, a vinyl version of Crystal Ball. 
I mean, I would take a vinyl version of Expectation because I, I dig yes, that album, yes. uh, like listening to it because it's got it's got that organic feel to it. We're listening to it on vinyl and just kind of sitting down and and having it on and being able to pay attention to it. Uh, and you kind of have to do that with vinyl. Yeah, you can do other things, but you gotta you kind of have to stick around you know, stay in the room where the <laughs> where the your your records are playing because eventually you're gonna have to flip it over um you can't go walk the, like again walk the dog or get on the treadmill or something while you're listening to vinyl it's not as easy to do so it, it demands you know attention and demands um you know you to to really kind of listen to and spend time with the music and an album like expectation getting it on uh you know, some sort of physical format would be nice so that's just another one of on my wish list i guess mm-hmm. yeah that's another good one in fact that would have probably been part of that next three that's what i was thinking like yeah shotgun invasion slaughterhouse expectation that would have been a good a good mix of releases to drop on cd and vinyl at the same time and again like you said, uh, expectation that was another digital only release um, a mm-hmm. lot of us you know even though i think there was artwork provided so if you kind of made your own cd you could create you know download the covers and the labels to put on your cd um and depending on what you had you know you couldn't always play those in the car because just the heat would just melt that label mm. kind of you know ruin your sure yeah you know see car cd player but you know be perfect you know if you were just listening at home so it would have been nice to have an actual physical real cd and the actual vinyl to go along with it so i mean that's something that yeah definitely i agree they could have put that out while they're still making these plans exactly i mean maybe it's much ado about nothing and and next year at this time You'll be talking about all the great stuff that we've gotten and we're going to get and it's going to all be you know wonderful here we just have to be patient again but i think um, again i'll i'll reiterate <laughs> patience isn't one of our strong suits in this community okay. because because we know what we know and we know what exists and that we don't have yeah i know i Try, but you know, I'm guilty of it too. You know, I'm like, well, wait, I want to release, I want it now, and I want this record, I want that record. You know, and I think we're all like that. Yeah. Um, and especially as Prince fans, but like I said, I try to keep it in perspective. You know, I, you know, you know, being born in '66, you know, I, I obviously wasn't aware of, you know, Jimi Hendrix in real time. You know, and he was gone by the time I was four. So, you know, getting into it later, you know, um, I think I got into Hendrix like college. So like about maybe 19, 1819, where I started listening to Hendrix, um, but then didn't really start buying Hendrix until, you know, maybe it was like 21 or 22, actually. And that was still kind of in that period where there were, you know, the lawsuits were still going on. Now, you still had access to the original albums, uh, but there were things that were released that Jimmy in his lifetime didn't want out into the, you know, into the public. Or I put this where there was a a guy 
that was in that camp that he didn't want this guy working on any of his music. But soon as Jimmy passed, this guy started remixing stuff and putting out albums, which to a lot of people were their gateway into Jimi Hendrix. Or they bought those records, you know, not knowing what was going on, you know, not like us, you know, as music pundits, that we understand everything that goes on behind the scenes, but they love that record. Mm-hmm. You know, but fast forward to 1996 when the lawsuits were settled and Al Hendricks got the rights back to everything. You know, there was this, you know, there's this now steady stream, even with changing distributors. Um, first, it was Universal that had the license to the Hendrix stuff. Now it's Sony that has license since um, I think 2009. But there was never this like huge gap between releases. It just seemed like it was seamless. You know, where you had access to all this stuff that was being distributed by Universal. And then here comes 2009, 2010, and bang, you know, here's a reissue of the original albums, but with the DVD that talks about the recording sessions of it. And then, you know, here's this release, and then here's this box set, and then here's this live. And it's been consistent all the way through for, you know, these last. 25 30 years so you know imagine if someone was a fan you know growing up in the late 60s and early 70s and experiencing hendrix in real time and that kind of deep dive fan that maybe had access to some of the bootlegs but you know like us like oh i wish we can get this officially released Mm -hmm. you know here they are in their 70s and going into their 80s now and you know, there's Hendrix stuff that's still just now coming out for the first time. <laughs> yeah. You know, so imagine I, the, Richard, you're depressing me. You're depressing I'm me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to have no, to wait till I'm 70 and 80 years old to get all the stuff that I want from Prince? <laughs> I sure hope well, not. Yeah, you know, that means we have to eat our Wheaties and our <laughs> yeah, vegetables stay, and <laughs> stay in shape and, you know, take your vitamins and all of that and yeah, you know, and but unfortunately, that's how it is. You know, look again, yeah. look at, you know, Dylan has been releasing, you know, his vault material since the early 90s. Um, same thing, Frank Zappa, you know, since the early 90s. And again, there's still new stuff. That's there. And some of, some of it, I'm sure, has been re you know re-released or remastered but then now you're getting into the area of the box set and the vault tracks and stuff like that but again there's been that sort of steady stream since the 90s and we're just waiting for i guess the prince estate to kind of get to that first step in a way or actually they've had the first step we've had some pretty good releases but Mm -hmm. to get to that point to where from say 2023 2024 onward then you won't have these huge gaps in releases you know you probably get something once a year or twice a year that's the hope right yeah so that we'll we'll end this topic on that positive note that hopefully that they're just taking their time they're working on a plan yes they could easily release something um hopefully they're just sitting back and waiting for the Netflix documentary. Um, Because in my opinion, I think once that releases, and hopefully it's good, 
but even you know even if it's not good hopefully there's a soundtrack that they can tie to that but either way you know that's something big enough to where it can reach not only just the diehard prince fans but it can reach the masses to where i think that soon as that drops then there'll there will be some kind of either a standalone release or soundtrack or some kind of a box set or an announcement of a super deluxe or something musical that would just get everybody excited you know whether the documentary is good or not but you know this would be something on vinyl or on cd that would definitely get us excited so i'm hoping that's what it'll be absolutely yep me too yep. so most important what do you guys think <clears throat> leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts and let's see we're gonna kind of kind of cut short this one purple piece uh it was originally going to be about mr nelson on the north side speaking of documentaries um there was a showing about a month a month and a half ago uh at the apollo theater uh this is something that listeners have been bringing to my attention for the longest unfortunately i still haven't had the time to go check it out i've seen the trailer um i've been to the website you know, and I've read up on it and it sounds exciting, you know, and I think it would be, you know, just as good if maybe not better. I don't want, you know, because we haven't seen the Netflix documentary yet, but sounds like this was something that would kind of match that or be a companion piece to that or something. I'm not sure. But uh, Jason, you've seen it. So if you have some, yeah. some thoughts on the documentary and. Yeah, I mean, not not a lot. It's it's a it's a nice little documentary. You know, it incorporates kind of like the history of music in Minneapolis and and um, the, you know the dynamics around race that kind of led up to the creation of the Minneapolis music scene. Uh, and there's interviews. You know, they they intersperse interviews with with people from the community as well as other artists that you know were influenced by Prince. It's a cool little documentary. It's about just over an hour long, so it's relatively short. It doesn't have, like, as somebody who knows a lot about Prince's career and is, I wouldn't say, like, I know everything, of course, but I knew much of it. I did appreciate towards the end of the the documentary, there was some interviews and just talking a little bit more about towards the end of Prince's life, like, some of the things that he would say to people and um, some of the uh, conversations that he had with people. What we don't really hear as much about because all of, like the interviews and the magazine interviews and TV interviews were all from such a long time ago, 80s and 90s. You don't see as much of Prince interviews from the 2000s to 2010s, especially. So it was nice to hear like firsthand accounts of conversations that Prince had with with folks and uh I, I i would definitely encourage people to check it out and watch it and if you um purchase it online you can actually purchase not just the documentary but like all the unedited interviews that they conducted with folks from you know for the whole run, running the gamut of the entire list of people i don't know how many there were but there was a lot of a lot of people that they interviewed uh, for this documentary and of course you know like with any interview you're just going to pick snippets and sound bites here and there to intersperse with the film itself 
but if you want all the unedited interviews you can you can purchase it and then also receive you know for an extra fee all of the interviews and so i did that so i'm like this could okay. be this could be interesting you know it, it's time consuming like I, I haven't watched many of them yet but um i think it would be kind of nice to you know to be able to use them as resource material or just to get people's opinions and thoughts on prince that you never really heard speak on him before um, people that you know you necessarily haven't come up, come forward or had a lot of uh interviews to to them about prince so because like the same people get interviewed over and over for the most part it seems like so it's nice to hear from from new fo- new folks new faces yeah and i i think when you get into a career that is that extensive and somebody like almost like a james brown that kind of had you know kind of people come and go over time you know, to have that variety and not just focus on just one era, you know, or just focus just on whatever the classic period or that classic band or whatever. You know, there was stuff that was just as exciting, you know, before the classic period. And there was stuff that was just exciting in the case of Prince, you know, into the 90s, into the 2000s. You know, and the beauty of it is to, you know, have that perspective, you know, to, you know, kind of illustrate the evolution of that artist, I think. But it sounds like it's a good documentary. Mm-hmm. I would agree. It's, nice. it's well done, okay. well put together. Yep. I encourage people mm-hmm. to watch it if you can. Okay. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. And you said and then they have a resource to where you can get additional. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what is it? Um, not deleted scenes, but yeah, just the unedited bonus, uh, bonus interviews. Content. Yeah, yeah, bonus content. There you go. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, I would definitely check that out. So um, that's Mr. Nelson on the North Side, and I'll put up a link in the show notes to where that can be accessed. And just let me know your thoughts on it and. We'll move on from there. Let's see, I'm trying to organize my notes. I know we're kind of getting closer to the end. And so we're going to move out of our purple pieces and move on to the flashback segment. And that's going to focus on Prince's second album, simply titled Prince. And it was released on November 19th, 1979. And had the not only number one R&B hit, but a number 11 pop hit in I Want to Be Your Lover and the second single, uh, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad. Um, This was the album that, for as far as the actual mainstream or mainstream America or pop America, this was sort of the introduction to Prince. Um, I think even for myself, I mean, I always tell this story on the show all the time. I've heard Soft and Wet when it was released from the first album, um, but it was always in that sort of rotation, you know, where the DJs would have, you know, okay, this is commercial free music for the next, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. And it would always be in that rotation. So I would never hear who the artist was. I love that. I was like, man, that is 
that is funky. I like that track. Uh, but I never knew who it was. Um, but from my perspective back in, you know, 79 going into 80, for a while, I thought the second album was Prince's first album. And it wasn't too later that, you know, oh, okay, so For You is the first one. And oh, Soft and Wet. So, oh, this was Prince that did that. Okay, cool. You know, after kind of my, after Dirty Mind being sort of my gateway and then kind of going back to it. Yeah, but the second album, um, like I said, as I was getting more into Prince and then as I went back and started listening to this album, um, you know, just like For You, it's like when I listen to that, it's even to this day, it's like, okay, cool. It's going back to, you know, I'm already transported back to 78, 79. And, you know, just kind of marveling at the, you know, the aspect of, you know, produce, written, arranged, and performed by Prince. You know, that was just like, man, you just, and it's like, you listen to this and it's like, no, this isn't a band playing. This is one guy playing. And I don't know, I don't think, because I, uh, yeah, because this was even before like um, McCartney 2, because I kind of missed out on McCartney 1, you know, because too early for me. So, and then, you know, Stevie Wonder, it was like I didn't really catch on that he was playing most of the instruments on a lot of his classic records until much later. So seeing this produced, written, arranged, and performed by Prince was like, man, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. This is, you know, it was just mind-blowing for that period. You know, it was just amazing. Um, and, and I haven't, because uh, I missed, of course, I missed out on the American Bandstand performance. That was something I didn't see until, I guess, maybe YouTube. So I missed <laughs> that. Um, the inf the infamous American Bandstand performance, <laughs> right? Only infamous because of the interview with Dick Clark. Otherwise, the performance was fine. Was it even live, or did they just do a lip sync over? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, those are always funny to me. Whether it was that or Soul Train, because it's like you get the 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 volume of the the track that's playing while they're doing it, but then as the song fades out. The only thing you hear is the drummer that's still actually playing, <laughs> but he's not even really, you know, the, the drums aren't even mic'd, you know, so it's kind of like this off mic, you know. <laughs> yeah, because how, how do you how do you fake drumming, right? I mean, without hitting the drums, you can't, you can't really do that. <laughs> I've, we've done that. Uh, uh, it was a. Uh, it was a lip sync contest. This is like back in college. We did that we did let's go crazy and like you know half of us were actually musicians mm -hmm. <laughs> but the guy we had playing the drums wasn't a musician so he was like really off <laughs> <laughs> sure sure you just have to kind of look the part look the part man yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah but that's it but like i said those those shows when they do that because very few people did live with that because i think it was more expensive to do or something like that it was to like james brown when he would be on soul train you know like don canoes had to put out the extra bucks to make sure that worked live <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I and mean, I think, this is how yeah. people got to see the artists like perform, even if they weren't actually performing, but see what they look like, see their mannerisms on stage, get a feel for their performing style. Because without music videos yet in the 70s and very, very early 80s, at least not prominently, um, music videos being created, it was like you go to these shows like Soul Train, American Bandstand, and um, things like that. And then that's how you see an artist maybe that you've never seen in concert performing. Yeah. Quote unquote uh, performing. Yeah, now like Midnight Special, I've uh kinda as I was getting older and able to stay up later at night. Um I don't know, somehow I always kept missing out on Midnight Special. But um Saturday nights was Don Kirshner's rock concert here in St. Louis. And I would stay up and catch most of that on Saturday. And that was, you know, that had like the music videos, but I don't, I don't remember there being a Prince episode for that one or Prince being featured on that. Um, so again, I missed out American Bandstand. I missed out seeing them on Midnight Special. So that just added to the mystique, really, because it was like, you know, I've barely seen, you know, like I said, any television footage, you know, all I had was just the records at one point. And then that was just even enough with it but um like i said you know dirty mind of you know as we all know now is that's the sort of okay now he's comfortable being who he is he's found his style he's found his direction you know he's no longer you know if he's being compared to anyone it's not like before where there was like oh he's this stevie wonder like guy or he's this bg's type guy or michael jackson type guy you know here it's the thing oh okay He's in his own lane now, just like Hendrix was in his own lane or Sly Stone was in his own lane with it. So but like I said, just the magic of even the first two albums, despite the, you know, whatever, Smokey Robinson or Michael Jackson or Bee Gees comparisons. You know, you kind of saw the potential, you know, the potential was there. And like I said, keeping it in perspective, you know, this was this guy that was you know, 18, 19, just barely 20 recording this stuff. You know, that was unheard of at the time. I mean, yeah, granted, you had Stevie Wonder, but, you know, the the real, what people considered the, the genius stuff didn't occur until after he was 21, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, you know, the second album, it's it's absolutely amazing. Um, Like I said, I want to be a lover of the why you want to treat me so bad, sexy dancer. For me, that first side is just flawless. Uh, The second side is kind of peaks and valleys. I still can't warm up to with you. Bambi, I think, is great. I feel for you is great. Still waiting kind of caught up to me over the over the years. I've grown to love that track. Um, and then the closer, um, gonna, gonna be, be lonely. lonely. Yeah, that's yeah. a great song. Love that song. Oh, and I forgot the, the other ballad too. When we're dancing close to slow, um, gonna be lonely to me is the better ballad on that one. Same, same here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but still, like I said, just that side one, you know, even with that being the weaker ballad, it's still not a bad one, and it kind of flows well with everything on the first side with it um but like i said side two kind of had the peaks and valleys 
kind of had that for me. But yeah, I mm-hmm. you know I, I still enjoy it. Um, the reissued CD uh, by Sony Legacy, even though it's not a remaster, um, I enjoy that more than the original vinyl because even though it's not a remaster, I guess whatever Sony's mastering process is it it's an improvement over the original Warner Brothers issue of the CD. And I enjoy playing that now more than anything. Oh, cool. I, I haven't listened to the, uh, the Sony Legacy release. Yeah, like I said, those... Um, I've done an initial um, review of those when they first came out, but like I said, it's not a it's not a remaster, it's not a remix, you know. So, you know, there's not like this dynamic range and these little nuances that you pick up on right away. But just as far as sheer volume, um, you do get to pick up some subtle nuances. Um, it does have a bit of a better range than the original Warner Brothers CD. Now, the vinyl might be a different story. I haven't done an AB comparison yet of those two. But like I said, I definitely enjoy listening to the CD. It has an energy to it that I would say is probably just as good right now to the original vinyl on it. Is that something that you have on just CD? Or do you have vinyl? I've got it on vinyl. it was it was not an original 1979 copy. It was one that was, you know, reissued a while back. I don't know exactly what year, but a lot of his older stuff had been reissued a while back on vinyl, and that's one that I picked up. Okay. Yeah, I picked up, uh, was that Parade and Sign of the Times? I think that 2015, I think it was, reissue. And those are good because those are, I think they're faithful to the original tapes. And I think that was the first thing that Prince mandated when he got his masters back. Like reissue everything on vinyl. That was sort of the, you know, his mandate because he preferred those albums on vinyl more than anything else. Yeah, but uh yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've got it. And I, when I say original pressing, I'm really not sure. But you know, it could have been like in 1980 pressing or an 81 pressing or something like that. But within the range of its re- original release, and I've always enjoyed listening to the to the vinyl. And when I used to have an original Warner Brothers pressing of the CD, again, it wasn't wasn't bad. I didn't. I wasn't as bothered by it as, say, like Sign of the Times, that original Warner Brothers pressing, or Purple Rain, that original Warner Brothers CD pressing. Um, But, yeah, just listening to this now is just absolutely great. But going back to, you know, your thoughts on the, just the album in general, you know, original vinyl, any CD version or... Yeah, just in general, the Prince album from 79 is is one of my personal favorites. Um, I just, the track listing is, for me, very strong, top to bottom. Uh, yeah, uh, With You is probably, is not probably, is definitely my least favorite song on the album. But I really love, you know, the one, two, three punch of, you know, I want to be your lover. 
why you want to treat me so bad and sexy dancers that you know collection of songs right there to, to kick off the album is really strong for me and then i've always really enjoyed i feel for you it's going to be lonely bambi's a kick-ass rocker yeah um even still waiting i i, I kind of like still waiting it's it's one of the you know the lesser songs on the album and it, it isn't a fan favorite for the most part but i don't know there's something kind of charming about still waiting and you know prince singing about waiting for his you know waiting for love to come and he sounds so lonely and so <laughs> you just want to give him a big hug you know he just sounds so pathetic in that song <laughs> uh, it's it's the kind of song that he would not really write much longer because his life would change so much becoming a megastar and and writing a song about how you know he's jealous of his of his um friends who are finding love and having relationships and he's just kind of sitting alone in his room and nobody wants to you know give him the time of day just feel really sorry for him and that's <laughs> it's endearing you know because he's so young when he's you know writing the song and recording the song uh, i just i just dig it i dig the vibe of it and just has that uh, kind of like almost country rock feel to it which he doesn't do a lot of and didn't do a lot of but i like that i like the album quite a bit overall richard i i enjoy enjoy it yeah, it's it's a nice one. Like I said, I, I there's that again a story that I tell just about you know how I got into listening to Prince. You know, I did have an uncle that presented the second album. Uh, let's see, this came out in October. So yeah, so right around that time, maybe November, December, um, he was trying to get me to listen to this record. And I'm like, who is? No, I don't. Because I think the, the thing was that he was like, oh, this guy's better than Michael Jackson. And, you know, this is when Off the Wall was just recently released, too. And it was just like, no way, no way. <laughs> <laughs> right. No way. <laughs> Impossible. I don't want to know about can't it. Can't be. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah. So I borrowed from Princess Bride on that one. <laughs> Inconceivable. <Yeah>. Inconceivable. <laughs> But, you know, and but that's, you know, sort of the beauty of a lot of uh, records. Um, I'm talking to PC Mignot's last episode um, about, I think it was certain tracks on originals or certain songs or albums. And, you know, just wondering, like, well, how did I miss that? You know, what, what was going on and what was in that mindset to where, you know, it's, five, ten years later or whatever, and it's like, oh, yeah, this album is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just uh, with, hits you differently at different times. You just never know what when you're going to become attached to a to a music or to a song or to an album. Yeah, like I said, you know, at the, at the time, you know, I didn't quite warm up to it at first, but I think, like I said, after I got into Dirty Mind and the, the same friend that brought that record over because he would borrow records and use my component set to make tapes and he brought over then he brought over for you and then the second album made tapes and by that point then i would make a tape too and then listen to it and was like okay yeah okay you know so you kind of saw that you see that evolution kind of unfolding almost in real time 
in that one because it's like, oh, okay, so this is what he was doing the couple of albums before. And then here's Dirty Mind. And then, I mean, like by the time I got into Dirty Mind, it was like only two or three months later, Controversy dropped as a single. Too. So just to see that growth over time, you know, it was just, you know, I, you know, it's kind of hard to communicate to, you know, where somebody was coming of age in the 90s or in the 2000s. And regardless of whatever their gateway to Prince was, and then they go back and find all of this stuff to play catch up, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to relate to, you know, like, well, one day controversy didn't exist. So one day Dirty Mind didn't exist. You know, it was a period where all that existed was the second album or even the first album. Even You know, we didn't know how far this guy was going to go. We didn't know how long he was going to last. You know, but I think when it got to, you know, the Dirty Mind and past, it was like, okay, this guy's going to be around for a long, long time. But listening to that second album for sure you know this was him gaining more confidence you know he learned a lot from the first album and again you know it's just one of those things when you go back and look at an artist's career you know this is one of those you go back and like oh yeah you know this is this is a good album this is a great album too and you know if you like going playing them back to back you know, just to see what the, the evolution of that artist was. You know, this this is a good one. I recommend it highly. I think I recommend it just as much as any of the other quote unquote classic albums. Mm-hmm. Me too. Any, Me too. Yeah. So cool. Any final thoughts on the second Prince album? No, not really. Just really love it. I listen to it quite often. You know, it's it's always one of my faves and uh I think just the it's just a very tight, strong record from beginning to end. And it really showcases like a variety of Prince's styles, you know, from the ballads to to kind of like funk or disco music and then rockers. And then you've got um, kind of creative and out there songs like When We're Dancing Close and Slow, which gets pretty explicit, um, which is like, like one of his first. I wouldn't say overtly explicit, but it's certainly there's enough innuendo in there to to kind of get what he's saying. And it kind of uh, paints a picture of of things to come on Prince's next album when there'd be more songs like the lyrics to when to uh, when we're dancing close and slow, but just being more overt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, going back even to for you, um, the whole thing with him and Chris Moon with the was soft and wet and where that in this particular case you know where sex does sell you know i think he kind of found that niche with that and again you know just watching that evolve over time you know much to probably his chagrin later in his career but you know even as he said it was it was cool when nobody else was doing it <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, so that's the Prince second album. Um, what do you guys think? Is that among your top five, top ten favorite Prince albums? Um, is it one that you revisit often? Do you prefer the vinyl? Do you prefer the CD? Um, does it bring back any memories? Like, was it your first gateway to Prince? Or 
Were you around in 79 when this dropped? Leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts. And now we're going to end this episode with our flashback. Or excuse me, not the flashback, but the spotlight, which will be on the Prince Hit and Run 2000 tour. Now, Prince had a bunch of hit and runs. It was the first one, which was back in 86 in the parade era, where he didn't have like a full-fledged world tour. He would just pop up different places. Um, My memory of that, because he never made it to St. Louis on that tour. Um, But I remember the radio station like, yeah, and we've got this petition and we're going to give it to Prince and we're going to get Prince to come to St. Louis. And I just kind of remember like, oh, this idea is going to (laughs) suck. He is so not coming to St. Louis now. (laughs) (laughs) And lo and behold, he didn't. Now, (laughs) Now, I'm sure there were other logistics like promotion and money and how much and could he get the venue and stuff like that. But just kind of the way that that was brought over the radio, like, yeah, we got this petition and we're going to give it to Prince. And it's like, oh, boy, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> New, knowing what even we knew then, it was like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't don't give the petition. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. yeah. but fast forward to the year 2000. Uh, this is the second um, tour that was sort of dubbed the hit and run tour. And this tour, let me pull up my notes here. It started in November 7th of 2000 and ended in May, or ended on May 6th of 2001. Uh, There were two legs of the tour, 33 shows all together. And the reason why I picked this as a topic, because I think this is a, A, a band lineup that doesn't get any recognition um, from what little I was able to hear from this tour. This band was on point to me. It's um, probably definitely in my top three lineups of the MPG. And we've had heavy hitters. I think this was the first appearance of John Blackwell on drums. Um, of course, Morris Hayes is the, the mainstay on keyboards. Um, Ronda Smith still hanging around on bass. Mike Scott still hanging around on lead guitar. Uh, this was the introduction to Najee, even though Najee had a really big jazz career prior to being in this lineup. So that was, you know, kind of interesting for me, even though I'm, you know, big Eric Leeds fan it was just like oh cool now she's in the band too wow but yeah he's representing on saxophone and flute uh there was a backup dancer backup singer and dancer named geneva um but yeah like i said this lineup doesn't get enough attention uh there is a lot of i think recorded material on this that i think you know, picking whatever the best performance or best performances would make a good live standalone CD. Or if you want to do kind of a box set of a tour, uh, this one to me should definitely be in the running. Uh, this particular lineup, this was also what the first of Prince celebrations, I think. 
I think they made their debut uh, during that period. And then this, you know, like I said, going on two legs of a of a tour. And I don't think there was an album out. I think originally the high album was supposed to come out during this point. But this was sort of like the last Prince at the time anyway. You know, um, of course, musicology was sort of a greatest hits thing. But this was, quote unquote, again, one of the sort of last of the greatest hits tours uh, before he went full on Jehovah's Witness and went on to record the uh, Rainbow Children album. Um, but like I said, what little I've seen and heard from this tour, uh, the band lineup, this is definitely, um, again, one of my favorite lineups. You know, um, a lineup that needs more attention. And like I said, just if you want to release live material, definitely pick something from this era. And this show did actually make it to St. Louis, although I wasn't able to go. Um, but one of our previous guests, Alex B., did get to go to that one. I remember him, you know, holding up the cell phone, like, check this out. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is, <laughs> man, I wish I could have gone <laughs> to that. But, um, but yeah, that's the hit and run tour. So, Jason, um, do you have any memories? Were you able to go to any of the shows? No, no. 2000, I was working like i just graduated college like two years prior so i was still kind of like very early on in my my professional career wasn't really spending a lot of money on things like concerts and i i lived in a part of the country that was about maybe an hour hour and a half away from minneapolis so i really wasn't that far but sometimes it just feels farther you know when you have to to, to drive one to two hours away to go to something nowadays that's nothing like i would have no qualms with driving an hour or two to go to a a concert that I really wanted to go to but back then it just wasn't wasn't something that I did a lot so no I didn't attend any shows from this tour uh and what was interesting you know the thing that I looked at when I was doing a little bit of just digging into it is like this is the first show right this is the first concert when Prince after Prince changed his name back um oh yeah symbol, that's right from the symbol yeah. to the print to Prince and he was also now Basically, it was a greatest hits tour, right? So that, that was most of what the the you know the um, set list was was past hits. It didn't. It, I didn't see hardly any evidence of Raven to the Joy Fantastic being performed on this tour. Uh, it's really just here's the hits, man. <laughs> Remember me. This is Prince. Here's what I can do. In case you forgot. So I'm sure yeah. it was very popular for that reason. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at the set list. And of course, I'm sure he switched it up uh, yeah, right. on many of the nights. But yeah, as far as any recent songs, I guess on a basic set list, it looked like uh, just the one. And let me scroll back Looks like up. Uh, the work was added later on after he probably exactly. finished writing the work for the rainbow children yes yeah but yeah everything else was uh greatest hits uh this uh version of ballad of dorothy parker uh mixed in with the madhouse track four uh of course this was later i think when rainbow children came out i think it might have been the same year i can't remember but when he was on the uh tonight show where he did the work 
one night. Uh, the next night was the Battle of the Dorothy Parker with this Madhouse uh, 4 mixed in it. Uh, that's one of my favorite versions of Battle of the Dorothy Parker is that, that live version with the Madhouse mixed in. Mm, yeah, that sounds like it'd be really, really cool. Yeah, which uh, what was the One Night Alone live? Uh, the after show disc, I think that's on that as well. But uh, it wasn't as to me. It was so different from what I was seeing on the Tonight Show. I think it was just like a, they did like a shorter version on the uh, One Night Alone live set. With that, but yeah, um, and it's not a bad set list. And I think, you know, I kind of get on the one hand, yeah, if, if this was sort of the last hurrah for a lot of these tracks for a few years anyway, as he was getting into the whole, you know, the Jehovah's Witness and the whole uh, Rainbow Children uh, era with it. But at the same time, you know, coming back as Prince. And then you come back on this tour to kind of remind everyone, hey, you know, remember me and remember these hits and, you know, maybe some of the deep cut stuff. You know, here's another chance to, you know, kind of relive that or revisit that. And like I said, it was a really, really tight band. Um, you know, it wasn't too many horns. Um, it was kind of small to me. This this band could possibly, you know, if you had the original members of the time as a as a warm-up act, I think this lineup could go toe-to-toe with that lineup. Uh, just like the 93-95 version of the MPG, I think they could go toe-to-toe with the time or the original time if there was a, you know, a big tour with those two lineups. But yeah, I think it should be, uh, you know, I want to see a standalone CD of this, you know, any, you know, whatever the best night of the tour, or sometimes when they do those live sets, they'll take, you know, three or four tracks in this city, three mm-hmm. or four tracks in this other city, and, you know, and you get sort of like the best live. Best version. of, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like it. They they kind of did that with uh, with One Night Alone, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One night alone was like that. And I think a lot of um like uh Earth, Wind and Fire, like the Gratitude album, that was sort of a compilation of I know there were some tracks that were here that was done at the Kill Auditorium here in St. Louis, and then I forget the other city where the rest of that was compiled. But you know, that made for you know, one of the best Earth, Wind & Fire, not only Earth, Wind & Fire albums, but Earth, Wind & Fire live albums. On top of that, too. So, yeah, I definitely would love to see this get something, you know, that's kind of same treatment. Um, you know, it's a later season Prince, and like I said, the band lineup can't, can't go wrong. Um, the set list would be an enjoyable one to hear. And I think it would make a nice alternative to, you know, the Prince and the Revolution live stuff, you know, the revolution stuff that we've been getting sort of these last few 
releases. Um, you know, goes toe to toe with the live stuff on Sign of the Times records. I think you know this one. I think it would hold up to a lot of the stuff that we've gotten recently. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, any final thoughts on the Hit and Run 2000? Nope. Wish nope. I could have went. <laughs> that's yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, Prince Estate, if you're listening, if you guys are sitting in the boardroom and still trying to figure out what to do or what big thing, actually, you know, in addition to some of the stuff we've talked about in regards to Paisley Park Box or standalone releases while you're making those decisions. Yeah, you can drop this. You can drop it as a mainstream release or a record store day exclusive and then mainstream. You know, while while you're making the big decisions on the super deluxe sets and stuff. You know, and also to Amari Perkville Talk listeners, what do you think? Was this a favorite era of yours? Did you like the lineup? Did you go to the tour? What were your thoughts on the, the concerts? Leave us a comment and let me know your thoughts. All right, so that is going to end this episode of Amari Purple Talk. Jason, thanks for coming on to the show. And let everybody, yep, definitely glad to have you on and definitely look forward to having you on the show again. Uh, Let everybody know where they can find you, your podcast and social media and get a chance to check you out. Sure, sure. Thanks again, uh, Richard, for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure. Um, so the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast is is my show. What I do is I'll I'll cover a, a single song during an episode, and we'll break down the lyrics and kind of get, you know glean some inside information if we have it on where Prince's head was at, or else you know are theorizing where Prince's head was at. Maybe some things that were going on in his life. Try to decipher and decode some of the the lines, maybe that. People have, you know, had some struggles with understanding over the years or understanding where he was, you know, trying to say. So it's really just focusing on the lyrics. You know, I think there's a lot of of Prince um, podcasts and books that, that talk a lot about his, you know, his musical brilliance and his skill and all the in- different instruments that he was adept at. But I wanted to take a different approach with my show and really just hone in on the lyrics and hone in on him his uh, songwriting ability from a lyrical perspective, which I think is underrated. So that's what my show does. You could find the show anywhere um, you get podcasts. And I also have a website, pressrewind.net, where I host the show as well. So if you want to just go to pressrewind.net, you could find the show there or wherever else, including YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it. Uh, hopefully you could find it. And um, yeah, that's that's basically it. So thanks again, Richard. All right, anytime, anytime. Yep. So that will end this episode. So tune in next week. And let's see, we're getting closer to the closer to the holidays. Um, but yes, be sure to check out the Amari Communications website, www.amaricommunications.com. Um Amari Purple Talk podcast is available just like Jason's at your favorite podcast platform. Of course, with YouTube, I'm kind of behind a few episodes, but I promise I'll have those up for the YouTube listeners to enjoy. And also check out the We Funk single, which is out available 
everywhere on your favorite streaming platform. And that will do it. So thanks for tuning in. And once again, create your day and create your life. Peace.